You're tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. You're listening to The Tidbit, brought to you by Curate, live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. I'm your host and the CEO of Curate, Kim Bryden. Do you run a small business or have dreams to start one? Here at The Tidbit, we've got your back. Each week, we talk through tidbits of knowledge around starting or running a small business with a food and beverage lens. We started this season talking about the why of starting a business. Why do you do what you do in building community-based businesses and the why of food trends and food movements that are here to stay. Then we moved into how you begin that process with creating community resiliency through banking and business structures, and we heard from three different entrepreneurs who are living out their values and how they need your funds to grow and scale their amazing projects and products. So now we're focused on the what. What can you do today to get more involved and to learn more about our local food system? Last episode, we sat down with entrepreneur, farmer, and seed historian Xavier Brown, and we discussed the importance of land ownership and paying homage to that historical context of the land we're inhabiting. So land is the beginning of our discussion on what you can do today to contribute to and think about how your small business fits into a larger ecosystem. And a perfect example of how this all ties together, I'll just use a a larger, more well-known corporation to draw this example, is REI. So REI is a very successful, cooperatively owned company that lives out the mission of to inspire educate and outfit for a lifetime of outdoor adventure and stewardship. And so all of these factors matter in starting your business. It's not just the branding and forward-facing social media accounts. It's your business structure. It's how you take action in living out your core values and fundamentally standing up for something you believe in. That is your unique value proposition. And you need to define that first before putting a dollar into embarking down the path of entrepreneurship. It's extremely important that you define what makes you unique and how are you making sure you're creating action around those core values before you begin. And so our guest today has a lifetime of land, clean water, and air advocacy, growing up fishing and crabbing on the Chesapeake Bay, and has spent over a decade on the education and restoration efforts to clean up the Anacostia River. So we'll just take a quick break here and be right back with Lee Kane, the director of Kingman Island with Living Classrooms. Welcome to the tidbit. Thanks, Kim. 
We first met kayaking down the Anacostia River, which was an amazing experience. Right. Um, and one of the main highlights of our expedition, at least for me, was that I learned a ton about the Anacostia watershed. So in order to sort of frame our conversation, I wanted to start there. So when we as a nation or global society speak of Washington, D.C., it's common, of course, for us to think primarily about the government, the Constitution, relics of our presidential past. But I want us to go further back in time to really embrace and understand the importance of our capital area prior to colonization even. Um, and you work really closely with the Anacostia Watershed Society. So could you tell us a bit more about the importance of this watershed historically and also what is a watershed? Absolutely. Um, first of all, it's great to reconnect. Yes. And um, I'm really glad that you came out on that trip that day. And uh, It was you know, beautiful. Yeah. And... Um, I'm so excited that, that people are getting out more and being able to experience the Anacostia River because a lot of the Anacostia looks similar to what it looked like 400 years ago. Mm. And um, 400 years ago, uh, the folks that lived around here were Native American people. Um, they spoke Algonquin and uh, their lives revolved around trading with each other. They had a society where they... Um, you know, they traded fish for corn or, you know, deer skins for uh, canoes. And the way that they got around was on canoes. Mm. They certainly hiked, but they were able to transport their goods back and forth on canoes. So all of the trading hubs um, took place near a river. And mm. one of the biggest trading hubs in this, this mid-Atlantic region was at the confluence of the Anacostia and the Potomac River, which is now where Blue Plains Treatment Center is. Um, and that was a great spot because people could travel from, you know, Great Falls at the head of tide. Um, they could travel from down near Akakik. Um, they could travel from Bladensburg and they could meet and trade with each other and bring back things that helped their family survive through winters when there was a scarcity of food. Mm. And, um, and that's kind of how people, um, that's kind of how people survived. And the Anacostia was extremely important in that because there were so many fish. Uh, there were so many things to eat. You could eat the wild rice. You could collect the wild rice. And the rice was important to save throughout the winter when there wasn't any food. Rice and squash and things that you could preserve. And that would last a few months until the fish would migrate back up the river in March. And everyone's really hungry because they're running out of rice. And this fish shows up and everyone's you know, eating food again. Thrilled. Yeah. And, and these are still prevalent in the Anacostia today, the wild rice, the fish. Yep. People don't realize this. Yeah, yeah, they're growing. The food is out there right now. Yeah. Um, and and uh, what's crazy about it, wild rice was, was pretty much uh, locally extinct in the Anacostia River until about two decades ago, um, maybe 15 years ago, when restoration efforts began. And we started finding seed uh, in the soil, there's a seed bank in the soil and just allowing it to grow by preventing the geese from eating it all because mm -hmm. they kind of overgraze. And, uh, and then also some seeds were harvested from the Tuxen Wildlife Refuge, only a couple miles away. Mm -hmm. And um, so we, we've regrown the population. There's a thriving population of wild rice and other things that, you know, used to be dominant on the Anacostia. There used to be 2,500 acres of wetland plants. Whoa. Yeah. And a lot of it was wild rice. 
and things that people could eat. And it was really easy to find food. You know, wow, folks what just, are some other examples? There's, um, of course, cattail. You can eat little pieces of that in the root. Um, there's one called Aero Arum that has seeds and they grow in a pod that looks like a tiny ear of corn. Mm. You can eat those. Um, some of the things like pickerel weed, you need to get the uh, tannins out of the seeds, but you can eat those too. Oh my goodness. Uh, just like acorns. And people are still fishing out of the Anacostia today. They are. And that's probably not something most of our listeners realize is that there is still an abundance of fish and people are eating it. Mm-hmm. Although there are still efforts underway to clean up the river. That's right. And there's been a lot of progress. You know, in, in some ways it took us uh, a couple centuries to destroy the river, but it's mm. only taken us a couple decades to get it to a point where we're, we're, we're really coming along with the Anacostia River. Um, and I'll, I'll dive into that in a little bit. But statistically, uh, an estimated 17,000 people a year are eating fish from the Anacostia River. Wow. Yeah. And so folks are trying to find food. You know, there are food deserts in different places. I know you had Xavier Brown, mm-hmm. you know, last week. He's, uh, he's really awesome at helping empower people to be able to grow their own food and um, combat the food desert epidemic we have on the east side of the river. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is a perfect segue into what I wanted to talk with you next about. And that is, well, I'll sort of bridge this conversation by saying, There's this 2017 opinion piece in the Washington Post titled, An Island That Could Unite D.C. Lies in the Middle of the River That Divides Us. And it reads, The Anacostia River has long divided the District of Columbia. In 1791, Pierre L'Enfant designed the city of Washington on only the west side of the Anacostia, launching the two sides of the river on very different trajectories. And more than two centuries later, the communities on the east side of the Anacostia continue to lag in many educational and economic measures. And so the island that the piece is referring to is Kingman Island. And you're the director of Kingman Island uh, with Living Classrooms. And so uh, something that you had mentioned to me previously is how people are so integral in Mm -hmm. in the restoration of this land and understanding all of the geographic, socioeconomic... um, complexities of this area. So yeah, tell us a bit more about this importance. I mean, even for you personally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think the premise of that article, I think there's a lot of great stuff, but the thing that I disagree with is that the Anacostia divides us. Mm. I really think it's 295. (laughs) Um, Just to be blatantly honest, um, Uh the Anacostia is sort of a dividing thing, but it's also geographically dividing and LaFont certainly designed a lot of the city there. Initially, embassies were, you know, slated to be at the top of the hill mm. over Anacostia, but they wanted too much money for it. So they all moved over here oh, to the west side of the river. Right. Because that's the best view of the city. Oh, kind of like look at that. Um, but the Anacostia really brings a lot of people together. Um, there are so many people that are fishing, you know, in the summertime that you see out in Anacostia Park um, and one of the issues that we have is is access to these areas. Mm. Um, and so if you live east of 295, there are, I think, three holes that you can sort of walk through, tunnels that you can walk through or drive through to get to Anacostia Park. Mm. Um, so we need to open up the access to these places. Yeah. And uh, Kingman Island is definitely one of those places that's really bringing people together. Um, 
in a lot of great ways, in part because of things that we're doing at Living Classrooms, workforce development. As the city changes, as Kingman Island changes for the better, we're really working to involve the people Mm -hmm. in that process that have lived there for 60 years. There are folks at River Terrace, when I used to work at Anacostia Watershed Society, we have them out on boat trips, and they've lived there for 60 years, 300 feet from the river, and have never been on a boat in the river. And so the access is the thing that's missing. So how can we uh, create the lines of access? How can people, you know, uh, feel more comfortable walking along the roads? You know, as DDOT is transforming the cities, making pedestrian and bike lanes more DDOT, the Department of Transportation. That's right. Mm -hmm. I speak in acronyms sometimes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, we have advocacy organizations like WABA who are really helping with that. And helping. What does WAPO stand for? Thank you. Washington Area Bicycle Association. Uh-huh. And they're uh, really helping open up access to places. Um, and at Kingman, we're doing the same thing. Um, this, uh, this past January was uh, a great month for Kingman Island. Mm. And the, um, the mayor visited. Oh. And she launched uh, the Year of the Anacostia. Fascinating. On Kingman Island on January 12th. And she did a couple things that were really awesome. Um, she designated Kingman Island as a state conservation area. She emphasized the word state. Mm-hmm. And um, she also designated part of it as a critical wildlife area because some of it is, is really important for the ecosystem. All of it is really important for the ecosystem and the wildlife corridor and for migratory birds, uh, for pollinators. Um, but there's a, a section of it where scientists from the District Department of Energy and Environment have found plants on the endangered species list in Maryland. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So this plant called Virginia mallow, which is a late bloomer, mm-hmm. which is really important for pollinators. Most plants, about 90 percent of plants that are native here, flower in the spring. And uh, this plant flowers in the fall. So it provides the bees and the pollinators and things food to last through the summer. Kind wow. of stock up for the winter. And, you know, just speaking back to what we were talking about of this being a main trading hub for Native Americans, um, that sort of community resiliency around understanding the sea, obviously it's very um, trendy to talk about seasonally eating, but, but nature provides things in these seasons. It does. So that we are well fed and nourished year round. Mm -hmm. And I think without us having these deemed areas to understand and study and under and track the seasonality of these species and plants how will we can't just rely on on global trading all of the time especially if somebody wants to start a global trade war Um, we need to we need to develop this community resiliency and know what our land is providing us right and I, i think you really hit the nail on the head there the the way we live is not sustainable right now yeah and so being able to learn from how people lived in the past. You know, mm. that migratory fish that shows up in March was so important for people. You know, Native Americans have so many stories about that fish. It was, um, it was almost like a god. Wow. You know, because of how important it was. It came and it sort of uh, provided food for everyone. You know, after the, the stores for the winter were gone. Um, you mentioned access. And I want to talk a little bit about transportation because something you had mentioned on our kayaking trip is that some people do canoe to, <laughs> or kayak to work, 
Um, I wish that we had more people who were thinking about using our waterways as yeah. modes of transit. <laughs> In Baltimore, they, um, there's a resurgence of how can they innovate on the water taxi right. um, between different areas of the city. And so uh, for some reason, I feel like we got away from water as the main source of transit. So what do you think about that whole movement or, or, or potential? I think it's I think it's huge. It's starting. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the redevelopment of the wharf, mm-hmm. and there's um, the ballpark boathouse, um, and there's the yards park marina, mm-hmm. um, and National Harbor and Alexandria. There are lots of places where water taxis are really beginning to thrive, and mm-hmm. water tourism too. You know, a lot of these taxis will do uh, commuter transportation, you know, during those hours, but then in the evenings they'll take a lot of people out to understand, you know, the history of the area, the monuments, the history of the river, things like that. Yeah. So what is the entire breadth of the Anacostia watershed? So you mentioned all of these outposts for the boathouses, but like how <laughs> far reaching is this? Yeah, I never answered your question. No, it's okay. Um, so what is a watershed? That's really important. And it's also to, important to understand, um, you know, some of the history of the Anacostia and where that word comes from too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Native American people that spoke Algonquin, they uh, had a word for a trading town, the Kachtank. Mm. And over time, when folks that were explorers were speaking English and Algonquin kind of mashed together, and <clears throat> the word Nakachtank became Anacostia. Oh. So the word Anacostia literally means trading town from the Algonquin language. Fascinating. Which is great. Got to remember that one. But the Anacostia watershed is, um, you know, about 80% of the river is in Washington, D.C., 80% of the area that drains into the river is actually in Maryland. Mm. So Montgomery County um, and Prince George's County have about 80% of that landmass that drains in. And it's well north of the Beltway. Um, and uh, all of the things that happen in that watershed um, have impacted the river. The river is kind of a reflection of how we live. And so... Um, Initially, people realized, well, there's a lot of money to be made off of tobacco and Mm -hmm. cotton. And so we used to have these trees that were huge. You know, there are 10 feet wide oak trees. They were hundreds and hundreds of years old. And um, when we began farming, we kind of cut down all those trees and we limited the amount of rainfall that was captured in the tree canopy. Right. And so all of the soil washed into the river about 10 times as much rainfall hit the ground. We get about 43 inches of rain a year. Wow. And so, you know, when the tree canopy was there, that's only four inches of rain that would hit the ground. Now all 40 are hitting the ground. And a very real life example of the dangers of that is in California with the wildfires and the Mm. amount of trees that were burned away. And then there was massive rainfall and created the mudslides. So we have to be cognizant of how we're developing our land because... Uh, again, the entire ecosystem crumbles if we're not cognizant of uh, how our parking lots. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess we can only <laughs> learn from our mistakes. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's a great point. You know, it's <laughs> we're getting 43 inches of rain every year. Why are we flushing drinking water down the toilet? Mm. Why are we using the rain from the sky? So there's a lot of great things in this city and in Prince George's and Montgomery County that we're doing to harvest that rain, to uh, slow it down. And there are financial incentives put in place by government agencies that are really creating new industries and creating lots of new jobs using green infrastructure. Oh, that's amazing. So there's a lot, of, a lot of great things there that are happening. 
and the socioeconomic potential of involving the community that's lived in that area for so long in this job creation. I mean, talk about passion and purpose. If you've lived in an area, uh, your family has lived in an area multi-generationally, and then you feel, um, so I'm, I'm imagining so much pride by being able to contribute back to your yeah, home absolutely. and your homeland. <laughs> Absolutely. That's one of the, the things that we do in Kingman is um, we do workforce development. Mm-hmm. And so in the summer, we have the, uh, the summer jobs program and about 30 young people come out with us. But we also do a program that helps um, provide people opportunities to go through job readiness programs, mm. specifically for um, green infrastructure, habitat management. Um, and other things that we end up doing out on Kingman to provide that access to the public. Amazing. And it's uh, it's neat. It's kind of an awakening. It's funny. Like, you and I, we might pay $80 to go get a massage and feel better, right? Mm. But you can kind of achieve that same goal just by walking through the island. You know, you walk For over sure. the water and you take a deep breath and everything that you were looking at on that little screen all day just goes away. Yeah. And you feel so much better. You might hike through a trail or ride through on a bike. Um, you know, you might... You might see a bald eagle, you might see a fox running around, and you might just sit there and watch those animals for a while and just (laughs) feel all that stress wash away and reconnect with what makes us human. Absolutely. That's beautiful. That that interconnectedness we often feel when we are so disconnected with our computers and screens. Right. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're actually going to talk more about how to create more... Um, interconnectedness with how you as a listener can get involved with the Anacostia. We'll be right back. Full Service Radio is supported by Compass. Discover Compass, America's first modern real estate company. By pairing the industry's top agents with technology, Compass delivers an incomparable client experience from the first-time buyer to the seasoned seller. Visit them today in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, or navigate compass.com day or night. We're back on the tidbit. We're sitting down with Lee Kane, who's the director of Kingman Island with Living Classrooms. Um, so just to tell more about Living Classrooms, um, Living Classrooms has a distinct, a distinctive competency in experiential learning and literally learning by direct experience or what we call learning by doing. So spring is just around the corner and I want our listeners to, again, like the top of the show, we said, what can you do to get involved? So what are ways people can get outside, learn more about Kingman Island and experience? I mean, you have a ton of free resources and programs that Living Classrooms provides and also the district government provides. So yeah, more about Kingman Island itself and how people can get activated. Awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you just you just hit the the first thing. Just get outside. Yeah, there are all these resources, and they're there, and they're free. Um, I, I had been waiting for. Uh, I think this initiative began in two thousand one, <clears throat> where folks wanted a connection a connection 
of the bike trail up in Maryland connecting down to Washington, D.C., near where around the Navy Yard is. Mm-hmm. And that's finally here. And so I ride up and down that trail. It's beautiful. It's stunning. I think when people figure out it's there, it's going to feel like Rock Creek where you can't go there on Sunday because there's so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are kind of still learning about it, but totally go out there. It's, it's great to just be out in nature. Um, Kingman Island is really up and coming in a lot of ways. Um, we've just installed a set of interpretive signs. So while you're out there hiking through, you can have context. You know, what is this ecosystem I'm looking at? What is a vernal pool? Why is that important? Uh, wow, it's important because, you know, salamanders and frogs wouldn't be able to survive in other places because fish would eat their eggs. Mm. But a vernal pool only fills up in the spring and then dries out in the summer and fall. So fish can't survive, but amphibians thrive. So there wow. are these little niche ecosystems that, um, you know, you can go out there and you can learn about while you're hiking through the woods, while you're hiking down the paths. Um, you can understand more about wetlands, the history of wetlands, the history of the Anacostia River, of Kingman Island. Um, and I, I should go into a little bit of history about Kingman Island. Yes. And so, how does someone even get there? Yes. 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 <laughs> Again, back to the access. And that's a, that's a piece that's improving, too. Um, I guess history of the Kingman Island sort of is very much linked to the history of the Anacostia River. Mm -hmm. So all these people came and um, 400 years ago and thought, wow, we can make a lot of money off of tobacco and cotton. And as the soil began to erode because the trees are gone and because the farming practices were just, you know, do it now, make as much money as possible. Let's not even worry about grading the land. Mm -hmm. All the soil rushed into the river. And um, by 1850, the ships could not pass up into the Anacostia River anymore because it was so full of sediment. You know, they'd go up and they'd hit ground and they'd get stuck well before they get to the port of Bladensburg, mm. which was kind of the big shipping hub at the, at the time. And uh, a lot of the operations moved to Georgetown, you know, in the early 1800s. And that became sort of the economic hub mm-hmm. in a sense. And um, as time went by, folks remembered the Anacostia used to be this you know, glorious shipping channel and river. And, and uh, finally, in the early 1900s and the 19-teens, Congress passed a law allowing General Kingman of the Army Corps of Engineers to dredge the Anacostia River. Oh. So prior to this point, there were 2,500 acres of freshwater tidal wetlands, which is a super rare, unique ecosystem. Most tidal wetlands are saltwater, mm. but because there's 280 million gallons of water pushing out of the Potomac every day, we don't find saltwater until we get down to like Quantico. So wow. you don't find species like bluefish and crabs and things until you get down there. And um, having that rise and fall of freshwater creates these little niche ecosystems for all these different uh, plants and combinations of plants and combinations of animals that you don't find anywhere else which is really great. That's incredible. And so there are all these awesome things that um, you know are part of freshwater tidal wetlands. And during that dredging process, those wetlands were filled in. So over 90% of them were destroyed mm. through that process. Uh, parts of certain neighborhoods in, in, uh, in, uh, around the Anacostia, a lot of the parkland mm-hmm. is dredge spoils. That used to be wetlands. Wow. Uh, wild rice and other things that people could survive off of. And uh, there were thoughts, too, like, oh, you know, we don't want mosquitoes. They're breeding in these swamps. 
It's funny. You find way less mosquitoes out in wetlands and the river than you do in your backyard. Huh. Because you've created an ecosystem in your backyard that, you know, where they thrive. <laughs> yes. <stuff>. But um, <laughs> as a result of that project, um, Kingman Island and Heritage Island were formed. Hmm. And they were created um, in the early 1900s, between 19-teens and the 30s. And um, over time, they've had different usages. There have been uh, people farming, mm-hmm. you know, during the Great Depression. About 100 people lived there, and they were farming on it. Whoa. Yeah, and you don't know what was in the soil yeah. you know, at that point. Um, and uh, then it became sort of a, an unofficial landfill for construction debris. So there's some I-beams and concrete out there in the woods, you oh, know, different places. I don't love that. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> funny how nature bounces back. And I think that's one of the great things about Kingman is, wow, completely, you know, man-altered space can totally be reclaimed by nature. Yes. I mean, we have this endangered species out there. Right. You know, fox, bald eagle, um, you know, there are river otter. There are all kinds of great things out there. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so fast forward till 1996, and it was federal property, and then it was transferred to the District of Columbia. Mm. That's one of the great things about Kingman is that because it is district property, and you know the mayor's invested in it, the things that we can do on Kingman, we could probably do a little bit quickly, and um, it can kind of be a catalyst in a way for the rest of the Anacostia River in a great way that incorporates everyone. Yes, the public-private partnerships you're able to forge. I mean, especially when we discussed what the Anacostia watershed is, including other counties. Yeah. Um, PG, Montgomery County. Uh, understanding, uh, because you have this agility in process, more so right. than other potential you know, federal or state-run mm-hmm. jurisdictions, you can create sort of this thought leadership and best practices as to how to reclaim this land. That's right. Which is amazing. Yeah. And and the programming in which you're able to educate our entire, you know, populist society, people <laughs> touring in from outside of this area. Right. That's the thing that gets me so excited. I mean, I told you earlier, my sister actually attended one of your programs on looking at bats. That's right. Tell us more. Like, what are these things that people can attend that are free? Yeah. So there's there's a, a lot of ways to be engaged. You can just go out and visit, do mm-hmm. a self-guided tour. Um, we have a series of events coming up throughout this year, um, a number of events each month. And um, the one that you're referencing was conducted by the District Department of Energy and Environment. Mm-hmm. And um, they uh, came out with giant nets and we caught bats and their scientists interpreted what was going on. We looked at a bat and we saw her wings and some scars and they pointed out that's a result of the the fungus that's mm. been attacking bats uh, this one survived you know and so that was great there were like 60 people that came out that day families kids you know you know uh, parents and all sorts of people being engaged in kingman island we have restoration activities that we do um, so for people interested in doing a little bit of work we do habitat restoration to awesome. restore the habitat um and just last fall uh a group of citizens, this is really exciting to me, um, started a Friends of Kingman and Heritage Islands group. And this is great because that can be the voice of Kingman Island. What do the people want to see with Kingman Island? And it includes um, communities on both sides of the river. You know, mm-hmm. River Terrace is, is one of the very involved communities, Kingman Park. They kind of sandwich Kingman Island. Um, 
and uh, they have great representation from all of those communities. So the voice is very strong and it's very powerful. So if you're interested in, uh, you know, that advocacy or writing letters or, you know, um, helping shape the future of Kingman Island, you know, that group is great to get involved with. Um, and we, we help support, you know, the connectivity through volunteer events with them. Um, if you want to get out and work and do something good for the islands and for nature, you can come out and volunteer with us. We also do other recreation events just to get people out to have fun, canoeing, um, hiking, nature hiking. And uh, we also serve about 3,000 kids a year. Wow. Um, yeah, between us and our partners, the Anacostia Watershed Society comes out with a lot of people, uh, living classrooms. Um, and we serve students from Ward 6, 7, and 8. And this is kind of like their outdoor classroom. Mm. And um, one experience with us on Kingman Island can provide weeks of engagement in a classroom. You know, a lot of kids they don't belong in a classroom They're, You know, they have energy. They really need to get outside Yeah, learn by doing. They need to learn by doing. Yes, exactly. And so that's what we provide on Kingman. Teachers have, you know, an opportunity to use that as a lens to learn reading and math and science and history and art and becomes way more engaging. And some of the kids that are in the classroom that are just, you know, the teachers like they're so not behaved and they'll tell me, Hey, we have to warn you about this class. They're, they're kind of a mess, you know? Mm. And when that class comes out, they're some of the best, most engaged kids because all they needed is just to get outside and understand the symbiotic relationship between a monarch butterfly and that milkweed growing in that meadow. Right. And now they get it. And now they get the entire science principle right. that they learned in a book. Yep. Right. Yep. Incredible. And one of my first entry points to Kingman Island is the Kingman Island Bluegrass and Folk uh, Festival. Right. And so what time of year does this take place? Uh, typically the spring, although this year we're doing it on June 9th. Great. Yep. And so it's going to be probably nice and warm. Uh, we have about 30 bands, another five different stages. And every year there's somewhere between, you know, six and 10,000 people that come out and just have a great time. Wow. Yeah. So if someone wants to get to the island again, it, can they metro to a certain spot and then walk besides mm -hmm. biking? Yeah, you can actually take the streetcar all the way to the island on 8th Street. Really? That's right. It's, it stops right there. Um, the Stadium Armory Metro, Minnesota Avenue Metro stop. And um, definitely the bike trails provide a lot of connectivity. Mm -hmm. Yep. Fantastic. So, and is there a website that people can go to? Kingmanisland.org. Perfect. Yep. One of the things that you just mentioned about the students and learning that interconnectivity, uh, just me putting on my business hat here, what I love about learning that historical reference of the river and, and really um, tying these pieces together around how are we creating that community resiliency of understanding where our food comes from. I talk a lot about local sourcing and if someone could create a business model that creates a sustainable ecosystem with the ingredients ingredients that are <laughs> growing here in this, you know, um, very niche ecosystem that we do have, this freshwater tidal yeah. basin. Yeah. Yes. Freshwater tidal wetlands. Yeah. <laughs> tidal wetlands. I mean, that just is an incredible story and, and something that I think consumers can get really behind because it's not just the consuming of a product, but also helping that entire ecosystem. That's right. 
I think the same thing that that idea just sort of sparked a, a thought in my mind translating that to you know visiting your local parks too yes you know we, we certainly have great parks in our country um, but there's some awesome resources right in our backyard right there's that the other thing that's happening that's really exciting this year is this month in March this is a process that's gone on since 1999 um, there will be less sewage in the Anacostia than there is in the Potomac. Wow. Because of advocacy work and uh, DC water transforming the way that, that um, our waste is handled. Mm. And it's not going to be overflowing in the Anacostia anymore. So we're wow. going to have a, a very clean river pretty soon. That's so we incredible. have to deal with a couple other things and uh, you know, people will be able to swim and hopefully be able to fish and not worry about getting sick. I love it. And it- if you as a listener want to learn more about all of the things we've discussed, uh, we put up show notes on our blog, curate, C-U-R-E-A-T-E dot co slash blog. So we'll link to all of this there. And if you are interested in finding out more tidbits of knowledge around starting and running a food and beverage small business with this more socioeconomic, sociocultural context to it, this show is based on our biweekly newsletter that we send out at Curate. So if you want more of this, head over to curateconnect.com, C-U-R-E-A-T-E, connect.com, and sign up in the footer. So until next time, everyone, remember to scale thoughtfully and source locally. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.